Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Let's get started. I wanted to take just a quick moment to thank you all who continually support and listen to James Miller Lifeology. I have been so blessed and honored by your continual support. I wanted to make sure that you don't miss out on anything exciting that's happening over here. So make sure you sign up for my free newsletter at jamesmillerlifeology.com. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to remind you to always keep learning. I'll also be interviewing author Mark Gober, who reviews his book, An End to Upside Down Thinking. His research-based book helps you realize there is more to your consciousness than maybe what you thought. For more information about Mark, please visit markgober.com. You may also purchase his book on Amazon or in the previous guest sections in both stores at jamesmillerlifeology.com and lifeology.tv. I have some exciting news. Did you know that I'm on the radio three times a week? You may hear me on the same station on Tuesdays at 1.30 p.m., Fridays at 9.30 a.m., and Saturdays at 12.30 p.m. You may also hear me anytime on iHeartRadio as well as on all the other major podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many others. Simply search for the show name, James Miller Lifeology. Are you struggling today to find your purpose? Has mediocrity set in and you can't imagine doing the same thing for the rest of your life? Are your relationships struggling or you aren't sure how to make long lasting changes in your life? Then today, contact me, James Miller. I will help you recognize the areas in your life that are going really well. And then we'll look at the areas in which you are struggling. We will create actionable solutions to help you create long lasting changes in your life. You don't have to do this alone. Go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com and click on the page, work with James. Fill out the form and it will be sent directly to me. Don't let another day go by without finding your way. Your change can start today. Once again, go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com and click on the page, work with James. Fill out that form to get started today. Always keep learning. When we were children, we would ask so many questions. I'm sure it was difficult for our parents or maybe even our teachers as we asked question after question, trying to understand the world around us. There comes a point in our life when all of a sudden we stop asking questions and we go from the learner to the expert. (laughs) Have you ever read an article and you perhaps only read the first quarter of it and stopped reading, but all of a sudden you became the expert. You knew everything about that specific topic and you told all your friends and family about what you read. That is something we all do. There comes a point when we, for whatever reason, we don't finish reading, we don't do things outside of our typical routine. And when that happens, we don't really learn. We just go on autopilot. There's a difference between actively learning and learning on the spot when it comes to life's stressors or life situations. A few of the benefits of continual learning is it actually allows for more happiness. When we expand our worldview, we understand the world in a different way. Things start to make sense. We've all experienced those things in our life when things don't make sense. But as you learn more, as you expand your mind, as you expand your experiences, you have more categories in which to understand the world around you. And the more categories you have, the less rigid your thinking is. And in that rigidity, we can become so staunch in our opinions and staunch in our beliefs that we just don't realize that perhaps there is another way to do something. Now, I'm not talking about your morals, your ethics, but simply more information you have, the more successful you'll be with interacting in the world around you. So that's why I think it's really important for each one of us to actively understand our world, understand our place in the world, understand different topics or different areas of personal development, Because in doing that, you will be much more happy. When we go back to that childhood mindset of just understanding our place in the world or just understanding new situations, 
we start to evolve as a person. Those answers start to shape our mind, shape our experiences. It causes us to even sometimes go in a different life path. When we don't actively learn, we're not allowing ourselves to fully embrace every area and nuance of our personality or of our life. And unfortunately, when that happens, we could potentially miss what our purpose is. You're going to hear a fantastic interview with my guest, Mark Gober, who is curious. He actively searched out answers about consciousness and wrote this phenomenal book, An End to Upside Down Thinking. Definitely listen to this interview because it may help you understand that there's so much more active learning that each one of us can engage in on a daily basis. So today, I want you to actively learn something, research something. And if you do, read the whole article instead of just a quarter of it. Because as you continually embrace this new active learning, your life is much more balanced, you're happier, healthier, and fulfilled. Did you know I have a YouTube channel? That's actually how Lifeology started. I have well over 155 episodes that I've created specifically for you. I do know that many people struggle with listening to a full 30-minute show. So these episodes are about three minutes long. Each episode will give you a practical tool or technique that you can practice daily to help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Simply go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, or go to YouTube and search for my name, James Miller Lifeology. Mark Gober is an author whose worldview was turned upside down in late 2016 when he was exposed to world-changing science. After extensive research, he wrote An End to Upside Down Thinking to introduce the general public to these cutting-edge ideas, all in an effort to encourage a much-needed global shift in scientific and existential thinking, essentially teaching his readers that your consciousness creates your material reality and biological processes do not create your consciousness. Welcome to my show, Mark. Thanks for having me, James. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I was recently pitched the, uh, your book and I was like, wow, this is really dense. So we're definitely going to make this relatable to everybody to really understand what you're saying because you have some really great ideas and ways to really help us live a conscious life. Sounds good. Now, you didn't actually start out as an author. You had a completely different mentality, but you're always drawn to kind of the, the astro-scientific world. Why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Yeah, well, and, and still professionally, I don't work in the consciousness space per se, other than uh, my book and I speak about the topics, but I, I work in business. Mm -hmm. I'm a partner at a firm in Silicon Valley called Sherpa Technology Group, and I used to work in investment banking with UBS in New York. So that's kind of my, my day job background. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but as you were alluding to, I've kind of had interests in these topics for a long time, just things that I would think about. Mm -hmm. And it dates all the way back to college. I was a student at Princeton. Um, and I, I considered majoring in astrophysics because I took a few intro courses on the topics and I was just really interested in understanding the universe and our place in it. Uh -huh. So I thought about majoring in it, but I was on the tennis team and I was later the captain of the team and like the commitments were just too much. Sure. So I ended up studying other things. Uh, the, the point though is that I've had questions about existence and it's easy in everyday life, especially when I was working in investment banking in New York, there was just so much pressure that it's it's hard, it's easy to lose sight of just the bigger mm -hmm. picture of life. Mm -hmm. um, so I pushed away a lot of those interests because I didn't have time to think about them. And it was in the summer of 2016, through listening to podcasts actually, where I, I heard about some of the topics that I write about. Then I ended up researching extensively for about a year, just because I, I wanted to understand for myself. Mm -hmm. And then in the summer of 2017, decided to summarize my research into the book that is now published called An End to Upside Down Thinking. Congratulations. That's great. Now, one of the things you really focus on, though, is the difference between the, your material world versus more of the conscious world or the unseen world, if you will. Those are my words, not yours. Why don't you help us understand the difference between those two things? So any, anyone listening to this conversation right now 
has consciousness by definition. Like mm-hmm. you're aware. Mm-hmm. We all have that sense of awareness. It's a very subjective experience, though, in that it's not physical. Like I can touch my arm. I can touch my body. I can touch my head. Those are all physical things. But my consciousness, my awareness, it's not physical, but mm-hmm. it's existing right now. Yes. And this is the key issue that science doesn't understand today. And when I realized that this was such a big issue of like, wait a second, we all have consciousness. It's, it's indisputable. We all have it right now. And yet our body is physical and our brain in particular is a physical structure. Mm-hmm. So this is the big question in science is how is it that a brain, which is physical and touchable, how does that produce a consciousness that isn't physical? So this is the, the precise question that I examine in my book. And it's, it's, it might sound like an intellectual issue, but it's actually very practical because it, it gets down to who and what we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. It's actually, to me, the most basic aspect of our own existence is trying to understand this awareness that we all have. W- what is it and where does it come from? That's actually a very, well, existential question. <laughs> For most people yeah. who don't know what the word existential is, that essentially means what's the purpose? What's the meaning of life? What is my place in this world? And it's a, it's a wonderful philosophy. And it's something we should all ask ourselves because it removes the minutia. In other words, the mundane things we do every single day to really say, what's the point? Why am I here? Why, why am I in this world today? When you ask the question as far as what's the difference or how can, how can a brain create the consciousness, or in other words, the consciousness is there prior to the brain, what would be the point of all that? How would that help people transform their lives? Well, ultimately for me, when I looked at the science, and again, this is science that is, is still somewhat new because mm-hmm. I had never heard of it before. And what I learned is that it's just kind of swept under the rug because it's it's it doesn't fit into the mainstream perspective of science. Sure. So the, the mainstream perspective, again, is that the consciousness that we all have comes from the brain, even though we don't know how it happens. Mm-hmm. And Science Magazine has said it's the number two question oh, left really? in all of science. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. How, do, how does the brain produce consciousness? And what I argue in my book is that the brain doesn't produce it at all, that the brain is more like an antenna receiver mm. as a very broad analogy. So like your TV set, the reason that the show appears on your screen is because the antenna is picking up a signal that's coming from outside the TV. So the brain's sort of like that antenna structure. Again, this is a broad metaphor sure, that's processing consciousness. So it's a this is it's a rethinking of of our own identity in a lot of ways. So the implications, and this is how it applies to any person. I think there are three main categories. Okay. And again, the book is all the science to back this up. But one is that we have innate intuitive or psychic abilities, mm-hmm. even if they're very subtle. So things like telepathy or knowing the future subtly before it happens. Mm-hmm. And many of us have this experience all the time yes. where we think of somebody and then we get a text or a phone call. <laughs> it happens and to be all the like, time. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, wait, is that, is that a random chance? And there are many studies that show that sometimes there is a small effect using statistics where it doesn't seem like these are just chance occurrences. Yeah, which I think is, is, is amazing because I do think there are so many unanswered questions like you just said. I mean, because all of us can think of that. You know, I've heard, I, remember, I can't remember which show I was watching. I think it was like Through the Wormhole with Morgan Freeman. Amazing show if you haven't watched it. It's, it's something where they were talking about someone who would go by these, um, 
these street lights and all of a sudden the lights would go off and um, it would happen to this person over and over again. And so many people could talk about those aspects of, you know, street lights just going off at different times or things that were unexplainable in many ways. And science just couldn't answer that question. And I think this is, you know, not necessarily correlated with what you teach, but it's more that aspect of there's so much that we don't know that our consciousness is able to do. And that is something where I think many people may shy away from it because it isn't hard and fast science. For example, in my field in psychology, it's just considered a soft science. You can't see it. You can't see your emotions. You can't see your feelings. You can't see your thoughts. And then that's where sometimes people may not understand it, perhaps in different cultures, because they think, oh, it's a soft science. Just get over it. And don't really understand that there's so much more that is linked with one's consciousness to be able to make up that spirit, mind, body component of each person. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's why I felt so compelled to try to put mm-hmm. the information in one place because it can be difficult to understand and, and wrap our heads around. But that's what, to me, it really blew me away that there seems to be this effect that we all have. So when we think about our day-to-day lives, it seems as though we have we have these abilities that we haven't been taught about as much. Mm-hmm. So that is a really practical thing of, wait, there's an intuition that we all have where it's it's sort of like the television set that's picking up the signal and there might be ways for us to enhance mm-hmm. the way we pick up the signal, so to speak, and things like meditation and, and other tactics can help. Sure. I like how, I like how you, you coined the phrase wizard-like gifts, which I think is great in a lot of respects. Are there specific techniques that can help us, uh, I guess, kind of define those wizard-like gifts? This is an area that is being researched and I hope it will be researched more and more. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but I can, I can refer to, to some very practical examples that sure. the U.S. government used to use. And I don't mean to put you on the spot like that. I just was wondering if your book talks about that as well. But sure, that's fine. Definitely connect us with that. Yeah, so the U.S. government, I was shocked to learn, ran a program for more than 20 years where they used people that were really, really talented at this and they were essentially psychic spies to mm, use their minds to to like receive the signal and, and know things about distant objects. Huh. And former U.S. President Jimmy Carter confirmed that this was used and many other very credible people. And the, the, the man who ran the program initially, he's a laser physicist named Russell Targ, who I uh, actually have interviewed for my own podcast. Oh, so we cool. talked all about his program. He recommends that people try to quiet the monkey mind. Mm-hmm. That's what he calls it. Like the chatter in the brain, mm-hmm. which we all have. I mean, I, I have it a lot where it's just like, I'm thinking about a million different things. <laughs> sure. And I think when we quiet that, it's like, it's almost like if you think of consciousness as being the sun and we have lots of clouds in our mind, those clouds are blocking in the signal. They're blocking the rays. When we do things like meditation or go into like a hypnotic state, like mm-hmm. hypnosis, mm-hmm. Those are ways of kind of removing some of the clouds and allowing the rays of consciousness to come into our brain. That's a great analogy. I really like that. I think many people can really understand that. And, you know, sometimes people do this in a form of meditation as well. Um, one of the most difficult things, though, is for most people is to learn how to quiet the mind. I think sometimes that concept seems very fleeting and very overwhelming. But obviously, there's many Zen masters or many types of individuals who are able to do that in a much more beneficial and much more expeditious type of way. Yes. Yep, it's a difficult one, but I think with practice, and there are many methods, as you note, it can be done. Mm-hmm. When people read this book, what would you want to be the biggest takeaway for them? Well, we got to one of them, which is this idea that we have these intuitive abilities mm-hmm. that we can all harness. And I think there are two other categories that are super important. One is the notion that if consciousness, this awareness that we all have, if that doesn't come from the brain, then when the brain turns off, when the body dies, then the consciousness doesn't die. And a lot of the scientific evidence in my book shows examples where we have a non-functional body and a functioning consciousness. So it all suggests, it points in the direction that, we, that our, our awareness doesn't actually die when our body dies. 
And for me, that was like a, a really mm-hmm. world-changing idea because I used to have a very bleak outlook on life. I thought when the body died, that was the end. Mm-hmm. And here I was exposed to science from very credible places like the University of Virginia. They've run studies for more than 50 years on some of these topics, all suggesting that consciousness doesn't die when the body dies. With that in mind, do they say what happens with the consciousness as far as does it go anywhere? Does it stay there? What, what happens with it? These are still open questions. Mm-hmm. I think the best hint we have is from the near-death experience where a person is clinically dead, they have memories during this period, and then they are resuscitated. Mm-hmm. So it might be a person in cardiac arrest. So their heart stops, there's no blood flowing to the brain. By all measurable means, the person is dead. And yet when they come back, they talk about what happened. And so mm-hmm. these are some of the characteristics. And I should add, these things that are now being described frequently because our resuscitation technology has gotten better, our medicine's gotten better mm-hmm. and we can bring people back. But it's been reported since the era of Plato and the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Mm-hmm. People have talked about this. And the general process typically described is the person hovers over their body in terms of their consciousness. Mm-hmm. They feel like they're above their body and they talk about a feeling of like oneness and mm-hmm. unconditional love. And then they have a, a life review where they talk about seeing all the events that happened in their life, both from their own vantage point, but also from the vantage points of the people that they impacted. Oh, interesting. And they're, and they're observing how they, how they treated people and the effect that they had on other people. So if they were mean to someone, they might feel the pain that they inflicted, mm. which is like a pretty That's profound pretty powerful. Thing. Yes. I'm like yeah. going through my mind right now. I'm like, oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, and, and so people are very, are very often changed when they come back sure. from this experience. But they also talk about uh, beings of light or sometimes deceased relatives or deceased mm-hmm. friends. And then there's like a tunnel that they see. And then typically they're told to go back into their body like there's more that, for them to do. So we, we kind of get cut off at that point in terms of what happens because the person then comes back to the body. Have, they, have studies been able to talk about how long they're able to remember that memory or that experience? Because obviously it's life changing, but once, and this, this is totally just my assumption here as I, as I speak this aloud, to breathe back in one's physical body and you have a conscious awareness of what happened, but just sometimes like in a dream state, you can't always remember it. Are people able to re- hold on to that memory and that experience as they, I guess, live their life again? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. So there are certain things that people come back remembering. But I've also talked to people who've had near-death experiences who say they have this sense that other things happened during the near-death experience, mm-hmm. but they don't remember it. Sure. I mean, that would make sense to me. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and some of them have even said that it might, they feel like it was part of the design. Mm-hmm. Like there, there were things that they weren't supposed to know so that they could come back into their body and have learning experiences. Wow. And that's, I think it's a, it's a beautiful, just a concept as well, you know, that that there goes back to the existential philosophy of well, what is the purpose and knowing that there's a, a greater aspect for why we are here as opposed to maybe crunching numbers every day or going to the gym every day or driving our car every day. I mean, those are just means to an end for the greater purpose. Exactly. And it's a really huge idea. So for your listeners, to, it, it's, it took me a while to really wrap my head mm-hmm. around this. But what all the people come back with almost for who have a near-death experience is this idea that their life is not devoted to uh, accumulating as much money as they can or material goods, mm-hmm. but that it seems like they have the sense that the purpose is around how they treat other people. So it's often the case that the person comes back from the near-death experience and they will change their job. Sometimes they get divorced because their values have shifted so mm-hmm. much, and they, they have this glimpse into a broader reality that our brain is like filtering out, typically. Oh, interesting. So it filters out the, the conscious part of it, you mean? Yeah. So the idea is that 
if we use the, the sun and the clouds analogy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the sun's always there shining the rays, but our brain almost acts as a cloud. And it's only in certain instances where the brain is, is reducing its functioning in certain ways, mm-hmm. whether it's by meditating and quieting the brain or a near-death experience where the brain's basically off, then it seems to expose us to a broader, a much broader reality. And when I think of this from a psychological standpoint, we have the rational part of our brain that's the, the frontal lobe, which really is kind of the executive. It tells us what we need to do, and it kind of just orders everybody around. And that is usually the part that can really override that which is spiritual or that which is existential, that which is greater than our conscious mind. And I think so many times people get so caught up in the, I don't say the science part of it, but the, I guess kind of what your book talks about is the matter part of it. What is the the substance part, the things you can see, the visceral, tangible components. And if we don't believe that that's possible for anything else to exist outside of that, then it shuts everything down. So I believe that, in my opinion, there's so many things that we just don't see. There's, there's miracles all around us. I use that word loosely, but there's so many aspects of life and situations that happen all around us. But because we are so myopic, or in other words, so closed-minded or so one, um, only focus on one particular thing, that's the tangible things in front of us. Unfortunately, we don't see that there's so much greater. So from a psychological standpoint, or really more of a neurological standpoint, I can understand how those clouds, if you will, to use that analogy, could really overshadow the sun. Yeah, exactly. And also, when we think about our eyes, we know from mainstream science that our eyes only pick up a very, very small sliver of all the types of light rays that are out there. It's called the electromagnetic spectrum. Those are different types of light. Mm -hmm. And there are things like x-rays and infrared that our eyes don't always pick up. And many of them we just can't see with our human eyes. Mm-hmm. So we have to remember that our, our body is, is only showing us a sliver of reality, even as we, we understand it in the mainstream. Sure. And that, the, the key word there is reality. Our reality doesn't mean that's the, the true reality. That is just, like you said, just what we physically can see with our own inferior eyes. Yes. Now, you said there was a third component as well. Yeah, there's a third component, which is, is that not only is consciousness not just stuck in, inside of our bodies, and not only does it survive when the body dies, based on the science that I've seen, but even more than that, we seem to be connected as part of the same underlying consciousness. Mm-hmm. And that's what all the research in my book points towards. So I'll give an analogy that I use from a philosopher named Dr. Bernardo Castrop, who says that we should imagine that reality is like a stream of water, where water is like consciousness. Each of us is a whirlpool within that stream, meaning that we have boundaries so that we only experience my life, your life, mm-hmm. each listener's life, where we have like, it's, it's almost like it's private. However, it's connected as part of the sta- same stream of water. And that to me is a super powerful idea. And, mm-hmm. and there are areas of quantum physics that I get into where we talk about entanglement, yes. where things that are very far apart actually have a relationship to each other. Mm-hmm. So there are many cases like this where there seems to be an interconnection between things that we can't see. And if we really absorb that idea. And to give another quote um, from Erwin Schrodinger, who is famous in, in physics, he won the Nobel Prize. He said, in truth, there is only one mind. Mm. It's like there's one big stream of consciousness, but we have these separations through our whirlpools. So that has big implications for how we should think about each other. And I think this is also what the life review and the near-death experience points towards, the idea that even though we seem like we're separate, we are, we are really affecting each other much more 
much more than we think we are, and we have a connection between each other that we don't really see with our mm-hmm. eyes. Mm-hmm. Well, that goes back to the whole aspect of a mother-child. The mother's like knows when their child's in danger, or just that the really basic thing we said at the very beginning of someone calls you and you're like, oh my gosh, I was just thinking about you. But I wanted to go back to that last quote that you said as far as the truth aspect. Many of us don't realize that the word belief is actually the antonym to the word truth. If I believe something to be true, that is my perception. So if that belief is, according to the English dictionary, is belief is, is the antithesis or the opposite of truth, then my belief is skewed. So when we go back to that oneness of all of us are incorporated in that truth, it removes the belief system, which is also a form of prejudice, which helps us then be linked together in that one aspect of truth. Yes. And, and belief starts to incorporate thoughts again. Mm-hmm. And when we, get, when we have too many thoughts, it's like the monkey mind acting up yep. and it's like adding clouds and blocking the sun rays. Exactly. Well, Mark Goldberg, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on my show today. Thank you so much for joining with us. If my listeners would like to find out more information about you and to purchase your book, An End to Upside Down Thinking, where would they find this information online? Well, thank you so much for having me. You can find out more information about me and my book at my website, which is my name, Mark Gober, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com. And more information on my book, An End to Upside Down Thinking, is available at my website, but also the book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble many other bookstores. And if you're interested in the topics we've talked about, the book has all the science that backs it up. Excellent. Well, my listeners know that if they're not able to find your book any other place, just simply go to both of my websites, jamesmillerlifeology.com or lifeology.tv, and they can go to the store in the previous guest products and find this book and end to upside down thinking. Once again, Mark, thank you so much for being a guest today. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you. I also want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with us today, or please go to my website where you may sign up for my free newsletter, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, or you may enroll in the Lifeology Academy where you can take self-directed courses which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. If you'd like to personally work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, simply visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support and I'll talk to you soon.